So we are in a series called Rooted Disciples, and that series um, is this basic idea that um, you and I, in order to, to be good followers of Jesus, we have to root into him. We have to kind of use him as our water and, and being good disciples. And we kind of figured that since we're a value-driven church and we have six values, that these six values are probably the best way to kind of leapfrog into being disciples. So this year we've been discussing these six values and their authenticity, the disciplines, creativity, truth, accessibility. And right now we're in community. And we're in the book of Exodus. We're kind of following community formation, how the Israelites in the Old Testament were made into a community by God and how he formed them. And we're trying to learn some things about what it means to live in community together and just even to understand our relationship with God. So that's kind of where we're at. Now, I realized as I stood up here um, that I had a slide before this slide that I forgot to put in. So I will try to explain to you the slide. It's just sort of a review slide. So to kind of get you to where we are at this moment... um, I had a slide, and the first thing I had written down was freedom. And that one word, freedom, just reminded me that the Israelites in the beginning of Exodus were slaves to Pharaoh, and they wanted to be free. Their prayers had reached God, and they were toiling under great slavery. second word I had on there was calling, because we found out that God calls Moses to save the Israelites, and then he sends Moses to call them out of slavery. And so calling is a part of being free. Someone has to call you out of slavery. And then the next word I had up there um, was worship or obedience. And what we learned was, was that God was calling the Israelites out of slavery in order to be free to worship him. Um, and so we learned that part of worship is obedience. And last week, I had this word up, trust, because last week Rod talked about what the Israelites had to do was they had to trust Moses. If you remember, there was a series of plagues, and the very last plague that came on the Egyptians, the one that kind of broke their back, and where Pharaoh lets the Israelites go, is that the angel of death passes over Egypt and kills all the firstborn. Kind of, it doesn't matter if you're an Israelite or if you're an Egyptian. But what Pharaoh, I mean, what Moses asked the Israelites to do was to kill a, a spotless lamb, to paint the blood over their doorstep, and then bring everybody inside the house. Well, that seemed kind of crazy, you know. That's a weird thing. Kill an animal that you kind of like, put blood on your doorpost. They had to trust Moses. So these are kind of elements that kind of get played out in community. The community is about freedom. The community is about calling out of slavery. It's about obeying. It's about learning to trust. All these things are elements of that. The big word that I had written on the slide was be still. Because that's what tonight is about. It's about being still. So if you don't remember anything else of what I say tonight, I want you to reflect even just on the concept of what it means to be still. Okay? So hold on to that, and, and as you're driving your car, or your motorcycle, or running, or all the different, sitting in front of your TV, I want you to just 
imagine, oh, be still. Eric wanted me to think about what it means to be still. And maybe that will generate some thinking. But where we're going to start this whole thing is in a verse that my mother used to give me as a little kid when I was struggling with stuff. Which, you know, I don't know if I'd recommend that, but because I don't, you know. Now the verse is important to me, then I just rolled my eyes. Um, but here is the verse, and it's one of my favorites now, so maybe you should repeat it even if your teenage son rolls his eyes at you um, when you tell it to him. But 1 Corinthians 10.13, which is out of a letter written by Paul to the, Corinth, the church in Corinth. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now this is going to be our key verse as we walk through Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10. It's, we're going to use this verse to sort of understand what's happening in Exodus. So I want to start out here with just the word temptation, because a lot of times the word temptation is in the English just it doesn't get the fullness. So if you go to different translations, you will get no, t- no test, no trial. It's a broad thing. And what it is, is this idea of something that entices you, forces you, is, is kind of weighing on you to do what isn't right. So a temptation or a trial or a test. So here's a good way for you to kind of understand this. And I want to kind of help you get a hold of this as we look at things tonight. So you can kind of look at the idea of temptation or trial or test in three ways. Brokenness slash sin, the world, and the enemy. So the first thing is brokenness. And here's the reality. I'm glad I'm talking to humans because humans all know this, right? Right, we're all humans. You all know you're broken. Even the youngest over here, on, over there, they know they're broken, right? They wake up with backaches. They, they see the world around them. They see that their parents don't always do what they're supposed to do. We all know we're broken. And, and when we look and think about brokenness, brokenness can be... A good way to think about it is just all the things that are going wrong in you. You know, it might be your mental health. It might be that you have cancer. It might be, you know, that your back aches. It might be that you have obsessive thinking. We can go on and on. Like if I sat down with you and said, list out your brokenness, you could give me a long list of the things that you just don't have control over, but they seem to have influence on your choices. So there's that part of brokenness, but the other part is is sin. And sin influences all these, but sin really is your compulsion to do what isn't right. right? That it's in you, and you just do it. You know you shouldn't do it, but you do it. And we all have this. So when we're thinking about temptation, when we're thinking that no temptation has seized us or overtaken us, what we're thinking of first is no brokenness, no you know, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual brokenness that is any different than anybody else. Like that's the one part of of that temptation is just your who you are and what you live under that way. Now, the other way of understanding temptation is just what the world feeds you, right? And we all have this. We all know what other people think about us. We also know what our world says that makes us valuable, right? The easy one is just to talk about what the world says about what makes someone beautiful or strong or what makes you important, 
Who are the people we listen to and who are the people we don't listen to? The world has a structure for that. And even when you come into a community like this where there's you know, somewhere between 80 and 100 people if you count all our kids and everything, we all still can dissect you know, who's important, who's not important, what makes you important, how, how, how could you get to be important, right? We, we're, all, we're always dealing with these messages about our value and our identity and they're coming at us nonstop. And they're coming from the outside, right? These are things that weigh on us. This is the temptation. This is the no temptation. This is what it is. Now, the third thing that weighs on us is the enemy. Now, I don't, we've spoken on this before, so I'm not going to give you the verses, but you can go look at First Peter, and, you, and what you find out, Peter tells us in the New Testament, is that Satan goes to and fro looking for whom he can devour. And that word devour in the Greek is kind of a slurping sound, like a who he can like just suck up into himself, like just own and, and contain. And then Revelation tells us that Satan, the enemy, is the accuser of the brethren, meaning Satan says, you're bad, you're this, you're that. See what those people think of you, see what you did. There's this constant accusation. So when you hear in your mind, and I know you all do, when you hear accusations, that person thinks this about you. You're this, you're that. But you should. That is, you know, there, it's an element of your brokenness and it's an element of the world, but it's also the enemy. It is a direct attack from the enemy. And he's attacking who you are and your value inside the kingdom of God. Well, that seems kind of daunting. But what this verse says is no brokenness, no worldly value system, no attack by the enemy has overtaken you. And, and the picture of overtaking, when I think about it, is I think about Rod running and then little Eric Lewis, if you don't know, he's like this big running after him. Little Eric Lewis is going to catch him. So, you know, you can imagine little Eric Lewis as the temptation and he's running after Rod and he overtakes him. He's saying, but none of that, like all these things, they're common to mankind. And I think when you and I face trials and we face tribulation and we face difficulty, a lot of times what we think is that we're the only ones experiencing it. We're the only ones who experience it. And in fact, one of the lies that the world tells you is that the only kind of person that can understand you is the kind of person who's experienced the same thing you have. Now, it's true that, you know, if I struggle with an alcohol addiction, that having other people who struggle with it is helpful, but it's false that nobody else can understand and nobody else can empathize and nobody else can wrestle. Because, you know, we all know what addiction is. We all know what it means to have physical pain. We all understand at some level we can sympathize because all of our trials and all of our temptations, they're, they're all the same because you're human. And that's important to hang on to because what it does is it doesn't pull you out of community, it puts you back into community. We struggle with all these things together, not separately. Okay. So I want to hold on to that as we head into Exodus chapter 14. So if you have a Bible or you want to grab a Bible, um, or you can just look up here if you have good eyes. But I'm going to start in Exodus 14. And let me just tell you what's happened so far is Pharaoh has finally said, I'm done with these Israelites. I'm done with Moses. Just take it all and get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. 
But then once everybody leaves, and all of the Israelites have basically plundered Egypt, and so all of, you know, he just, his, his stock just crashed. There is no slaves. A lot of the, his wealth has been taken with the Israelites. Pharaoh kind of decides that this isn't the greatest idea. And so we start, we pick up the story um, in verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, approached the Israelites, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Now, there, if you read the text earlier, they avoid, God helps them avoid the Philistines, and he sends them in this direction, and they're basically headed towards the Red Sea. If you've got a, a phone, you can quick look up map to the Red Sea, and you can see where this is. But anyway, they look up and they see the Egyptians, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no grave in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Don't we, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So now the Israelites are in between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. They're, 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 there's no place to escape. And this word terrified is literally that experience you have when you, have you ever had that feeling where you're like close to an edge and, and you kind of slip sideways for a second and you catch your balance and you just have that like, ah, like that terror in you? Well, that's the experience, you know, that you're having, that these Israelites are having. I, I remember one time when my dad was driving through the White Mountains, my mom was talking about a bird and, you know, we were on one of those curvy roads and my dad was looking at the bird and he was driving straight and we're like screaming in the back of the car, dad, 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 as he's like headed for over the hill. Of course, he, he was just giving us a hard time. But like I in the back seat was like, ah! you know, like, well, that's exactly what this experience is. Okay. And I would argue to you that that no temptation has seized you is this experience. That us, we have over and over again these Pharaoh and Red Sea experiences. Sometimes they're really highly elevated. Sometimes they're just mild. But this is where we're at. We have these experiences. Um, and we panic. We have anxiety. We have a ton of fear. And we do this. We use our words as weapons because we're powerless. Right? That panic, that experience, is an experience of us being out of control and us being powerless and here's how you know here's like a like the big warning sign that you know you're in a place of being between pharaoh and the red sea is when you begin to use your words like the israelites do and i love these words they're like oh come on they begin to point the finger at moses and say man what do you just want to bring us out here weren't there enough graves in egypt like at least we were slaves. Now we're going to die. It's your fault. You're stupid. Why did you do this? You're incompetent. Now, I don't know. I'm sure that you can think of moments in your life because you're human and I'm human. I have had moments like this where I feel powerless and the first thing to do when you feel powerless is to strike at the people you think have put you in that position. And you begin to use your words. Right? You begin to use your words. You begin to tear them down. So this is, this is a, a warning sign that you're actually standing in that no temptation place, in the place where you're in the midst of a trial. 
in the midst of a panic, in the midst of feeling powerless, you end up using your words. It's a good, a good way. So when you hear, be still in your head, because Eric said remember that, you can start thinking about these things. That would maybe get you thinking. Now, I love Moses. Moses is a good leader. He did some dumb things, and he did some good things. But this is a moment where Moses is acting like a really good leader. And this is my favorite like quote from his. So he has a, a nation of a couple million people pointing the finger at him and saying, you're pathetic, you're incompetent. Now, if, if you guys, there are only like 50 in here, if you said that to me, I'd be really angry. If you all just pointed your finger at me and said, you're incompetent. See, why did you get us in this position? Right? That would be bad. I don't even want to imagine that. But this is what Moses says, and I love what Moses says here. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, let's just go back here real fast. Uh, what direction are we going? Oops, that was the end. All right. So, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, and God is faithful. Now, the idea, when, when Paul, the apostle, says that God is faithful, what he's saying is that God has done some things that showed him to be faithful. Now, the thing that God has done when Paul is thinking of, when he's saying God is faithful, is that God sent his son for you. And that Jesus didn't give up on you, but he lived out his life and he died for you. And so when, when Paul is saying God is faithful, the thing that he always has in the back of his mind is the cross. The cross is the proof that God is faithful. And so the first thing that, that Paul is saying is that when you face these temptations that are common to everything, the first thing you have to remember is that God is faithful, that Jesus died for you. Now, Moses kind of expands this a little bit for the Israelites because they're before this. And he says to them, do not be afraid, stand firm. And this word in the Hebrew, to not be afraid, is really actually Moses saying, don't panic! Relax! Everybody relax! Just just relax! That's what he's saying. I mean, it, it's actually all connected in the Hebrew. So the, they're being terrified and this do not be afraid is connected because what Moses is saying is, he's saying, guys, you're just, you're just going all over the place. You're saying stupid things. Just, just relax. Take a deep breath. Let's do some, some breathing. And then he says, stand firm. And stand firm here literally means to like root yourself, like stand there. Like, I, don't, I think it's called senshi in, in martial arts, where you actually can put yourself so that you're connected to the ground and that people can't actually budge you. Like you're able to use your mind in a way where you can't be budged. So you're going to stand firm. Now, the way that you and I would do that, and the way the Israelites would do that, and the way we do that here at the village, is to tell stories about what God has done in our life. Because when you and I face hard things, we immediately do not think about all the good things God has done. Like hard things do not trigger in our mind, oh, I should think about what God has done in my life. Right? 
But to stand firm, the way that a Christian stands firm, as you face a trial, she's in the nursery, Violet. (laughs) The way that we face a trial, the way we root ourselves in, is to begin to reflect on what God has done in our life, in our story. That's why story is so important. But story isn't important than you telling me, like, oh, well, I was born here. This is what happened to me. The important part of your story and the thing that you need to recite over and over again are the points where God showed up. Because that's what you're going to hold on to. Because I guarantee you, when you're panicking in life, whatever level the trial is at, you're not going to necessarily think about what God has done unless you have repeated it over and over again. I was with my uh, mother on Tuesday and we were just talking and it was really fun because as a little kid, I don't remember everything and she was sort of narrating for me just some of the events in my life when I was little where God showed up in my life, where He called me and it was fun. And now, because of the way your brain works, since my mom told me those things, I imagined them and so now I remember them even though I don't remember them. And now they're actually Ebenezer's in my life. And one of the cool things is I always thought that I was three years old when I became a Christian and I jumped up in my mom's lap. Turns out I was two and I jumped up in my dad's lap and said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And she said, I said it about that clearly at two. So, wow, that was cool. And she just told me about different things of where I would go and want to be in her prayer meetings and how I would pray with her and her friends and, and those kinds of things. Oh, wow, for me now to tell those stories or to remember, oh, God was with me. He was present in my life. So, when you hear God say, or Paul say, God is faithful, it's a practice. It's a thing that you have to work on. First off, you have to hear Moses saying, stop panicking, and then you need to start recalling, okay, how is God faithful? What has he done in my life? The verse goes on to say, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, Moses tells the Israelites, you're going to be delivered. You're not going to see these silly Egyptians anymore. But what you need to do is you need to be still and let and watch God fight for you. And I just want to talk about being still for a minute because this, um, I think, is the thing that most of us struggle with. I was reading an article, perusing it really, because I don't read articles. I just scan them for important things. Um, but this was about Steve Jobs, and it was about people who are executives in you know, Silicon Valley and how they don't let their children have cell phones or use tablets. Right? And the reason that they don't do it, basically the article was suggesting, I think, was, or the, these people suggest that they, they know their own addiction and their own inability to be still because they're so distracted, and also their inability to actually sit down and play and interact with one another with ki- as kids. And, and they see that as adults, so they don't want their children to have the same addictions they do. So they are like, no tablets, no cell phones. And of course, sounds like their kids hate them. But that's a whole different thing. But the reality is, is that our culture has become this culture where we're all really, really frantic. And when we put aside everything 
that we do, from even reading our books, if we just sit still, our brains just kind of explode on us and our eyes feel weird because we have to sit still without any blue screens in front of us. But what Moses is saying here is and this idea of God not tempting you beyond what you can bear, the only way you're going to realize this is if you'll be still, take a deep breath, and watch him bear up under it for you. Take on the things that you can't take on. Okay? So what Moses is saying is, all right, here come the, here come the, the Israelite. I mean, here comes Pharaoh. The Red Sea's behind us. Take a deep breath. Face Pharaoh and be still. Face the trial. Sit in the powerlessness and sit still. And then this is what God says to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. (laughs) Does that not sound like a parent? It's like, stop, stop, stop. Just eat your dinner, right? Just just eat your dinner, right? Do, Do what I ask you to do. But this requires trust because here's what they have to do. Here comes Pharaoh and they have to turn and walk towards the Red Sea. Walk towards the place where they can't escape. And that requires trust. It requires trust. So here's, here's where I think, let me try to draw this picture of how we experience this. Because what it really is, is you and I over and over experience moments in our life. Maybe it's just our, our wife says something to us or our son is disobeying in public in a way that's embarrassing to us or we just spent a bunch of money and we shouldn't have or you know those moments where all of a sudden you feel powerless and you're basically standing on the edge of a cliff and you're panicking because reality is is you don't want to fall like you feel like you're going to fall into that bottomless pit and that's just going to means everything is over and so what Moses is saying, and what 1 Corinthians, I think, is saying in 10.13 is that you have to stand at the edge of this little cliff. You have to tie around your waist the faithfulness of God. You have to recite, okay, here's what God has done in my life. I'm going to stand firm. And then this is what God says to us. Jump. You tie this rope around your waist of God's love for you, and he says, jump. Move forward. Move towards the thing that seems like it's only going to make it worse. Right? Now, a lot of times, the jumping into the pit isn't action. I think the jumping is actually being still. Because what you and I like to do is we like to fix it. We like to grab whatever we can to make it right. And I think the jumping, the trusting, the moving on even here is simply, okay, be still and watch what I'm going to do. Being still is the call from God in the midst of our trials and our temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13 continues to say that God will provide a way out so that we can endure it. And the story kind of shows this. So God talks to Moses and in Exodus 14.21 it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into a dry land. 
The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with all with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So this providing a way out so we can endure, endure it, the picture there in the language is an army kind of cornered in a mountain and all of a sudden they find a mountain pass where they can escape the enemy. So they feel like they're cornered by their foes and yet then they find a way of escape. Now, that's exactly what happens to the Israelites. Only what's interesting is you have Pharaoh coming down on them and what God is asking them to do is walk through an ocean with water on either side. Just to walk a million people into an ocean doesn't like when we think that God's going to provide a way out so we can endure it we think that we're going to be delivered and none of the trial and none of the anxiety is going to be there and yet what God's saying is no 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 trust me move on I'm going to make it bearable but it's still going to be risky it's still going to be scary it's still going to be difficult now I think the reason that I love 1 Corinthians 10.13 is because I think that these things, like the temptations, the endurance, everything that you and I face is not something we can do alone. In fact, if you spend a lot of time away from community, what happens is you actually don't have these experiences. Here's what I think. I love this verse, and I know, like, okay, I got 25 sermons. I've been preaching for 14 years. So you're going to hear my 25 sermons in all of the sermons that I preach. And I use this verse all the time because I think it's super, super important. And Hebrews 10, 24 says, and 25 says, And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think that you and I end up with our temptations, end up with our trials, end up with with all of those kinds of things because we're in community together and we're all really disappointing, right? The reality is we're not what we all want everyone to be. And you know that for those of you who are married, you know. Even in that, it's not everything you want it to be, right? And yet what we're called to do is to come together and spur each other on and irritate each other towards love and good deeds. Part of that is you and I don't recognize that we're in between Pharaoh and the Red Sea unless somebody tells us we're in between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Part of what we as a community do for one another is saying, hey, you're there. This is your moment to be still. Now, Paul, or not Paul, who, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, in verse 25 says, not to give up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day coming. Community is important, and what happens is, is you and I don't want to necessarily be part of community because it is like sandpaper on raw skin. That is what it's like to be in a church community. Now, there are great things. There are moments of, of times of deliverance, and we've heard a ton of stories of how God has changed people, and we'll continue to be hearing stories up front about how God has used this community to transform them. But there is a temptation not to come because we're forced to face our trials and to deal with the way we wrestle with things. And, and so my invitation to you tonight is don't give up 
coming together. Don't give up on Sunday. Don't give up on the meetings. Don't give up on anything that the community does because this is what happens and this is where what you're called to. So what community is all about is being still. That we live in, we live in a place where we're, we're always feeling panicked and afraid and feeling like we don't have the solution and we don't know what to do and we're wrestling with all these temptations and they're isolating. And so what God calls us to do is to come into community and to be still. And so let me offer you some ways tonight to be still. Number one, because you're all part of the United States culture, I know most of you have cell phones. Most of you have computers and most of you have tablets. I would invite you this week to put your phone away when you can put it away. Like literally turn it off. If you're going to go spend time with God somewhere, turn your phone off, turn your tablet off, get a paper Bible. <laughs> right? Disconnect from technology. Because I think technology makes it very difficult for us to actually stop and see what God's doing because we won't be still in the midst of our trials and temptations. The second thing I would invite you to do is actually just be still. I would invite you to go in your backyard or your porch and sit with no book, no nothing. Just sit. Take a deep breath. (laughs) Begin to feel your mind trying to sort things out. You can pray, you can talk to God, you can tell Him how uncomfortable you are. But for you to be still so that you can see God work in the midst of your trials and temptations, I think we're going to just have to practice being still. And here's the third way I'd invite you to practice being still this week. You can do any of them or all of them. But I would actually invite somebody that you know who has a hard time being still, to come be still with you. Right? So some of you like to go hiking. Invite somebody who has trouble being still to go up on the mountain with you and just sit next to you in silence. Just very monkish, right? We're not going to talk. You're just going to sit next to me. I'm going to sit next to you. We're going to sit here for a half hour. Right? We're so used to being busy. We have to do something. got to fix it. we gotta, we got to understand it. we got to know why God's doing it. we got to... Just be still. And so, what time is it? Can you give me a time? 609. All right, I got a few minutes here. I want to just, I would ask you this week to hold on to this verse. Because this is what Moses is saying, not just to the Israelites, but to you and I through time. He's saying, don't panic, relax. Okay? Relax. Relax. Stand firm. Root yourself into what you know about God. Be still. Watch Him fight for you. So when things aren't going right with your kids, things aren't going right with husband, things aren't going right at work, things aren't going right in what you think God wants you to do or where you are in your life or whatever else, boyfriend, girlfriend, cats, dogs, whatever it is that you feel a trial about, relationships in this community, whatever it is, I want you just to read over what Moses has to say to you and then go practice what I asked you to practice. Now, I've got about 
two, three minutes, four minutes. If anybody wants to ask any questions, clarify things, make a comment, or anything else. Or nothing. You can all be still. All right. Awesome. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you um, for giving us Moses and giving us Paul and giving us the opportunity to be still, to root ourselves in you. I just ask that as we take communion, as we sing, and as we eat together, you would um, teach us to be still. I ask that in your name. Amen.